It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. He struck out his hat and goes down. That's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco. To the left of the bag, he turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. This week in Rays Baseball starts right now. And welcome to our latest program, everybody. My name is Chris Adams-Wall. We're glad to have you with us. In this week's show, we'll sit down with featured guest Taj Bradley and discuss the young right-hander's transition to the big leagues. Neil Solons, who has done all the interviewing for the past 11 and a half years, will have the tables turned on him by yours truly as we discuss the announcer's rise to the Rays' play-by-play booth. Rays Director of Minor League Operations Jeff McLaren will join us to talk about Kyle Manzardo and Junior Caminero's selection to participate in the Futures game, as well as a look at the rest of the Rays' farm system. And finally, Neil gets together with Evan Longoria as we turn back the clock and reflect on the legendary Rays' career in Tampa Bay. And we continue on this week in Rays baseball with Rays starting pitcher Taj Bradley. Taj, thanks for taking a few minutes. And yeah, thanks for having me, man. So we know that this is your first major league season. We'll get to your debut in a little bit, but how's it going so far? It seems like you're really starting to click. Yeah, no, everything's feeling good so far. Um, pretty much the only learning curve is just attacking hitters still and uh fighting to keep the ball in the zone and uh limit the walks and uh that's pretty much it give myself a good chance to get guys out what's the biggest difference that you've noticed between the big leagues and triple a durham uh i don't think anything really man it's just the same at bat same game uh that's pretty much it on tv it looks bigger than uh, a bigger stage and what it really is but yeah it's pretty much the same game You've been working a lot on your changeup, and it's been playing very well recently. I'm thinking of an outing against Baltimore just last week. Looked like that was playing especially well. We know that you've always had a great cutter. You've had a terrific fastball. That curveball that you slip in there every now and then has worked really well also. But what is it about the changeup? How has that been developing? Uh, that's the thing people get confused about. I've always had the changeup. Like people see it thrown more, or I don't know what what's confusing people. I don't know, but I've always had it. Double A, triple A. I mean, I threw it a lot in triple A, but I don't know. People put that backseat to the cutter and fastball, and I don't know. I'm not a two pitch guy. I feel like I'm a four pitch guy. Of all the pitches in your repertoire, though, which would you say that you're working on most these days, or at least working the most on refining? Nothing anymore. Just throw it. I feel like I like where all my pitches are at right now, so I'm not going to force it to be any better or try to do anything more with it. I'm just going to keep it where it is and just throw it in the zone. You started the 2023 season with the AAA Durham Bulls, but almost immediately you were promoted up to the big leagues and you made your major league debut for the Tampa Bay Rays on April 12th against the Boston Red Sox. 
Describe what that day was like, because I know you've worked extremely hard to get to where you are right now. I know that your mom even came down for that, and she was at Tropicana Field for your Major League debut. But describe what that day was like, all the emotions, and maybe tell us how you were informed that you were going to the big leagues, because we know that the Rays have some creative ways about how they call up some of their guys from the minors. Uh, for me, that day was just like any other day. I always thought you'd find out when you least expect it. So, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't even think it. We come in after a loss, and our manager calls us into the locker room uh, telling us, like, hey, we got some stuff to figure out, but it's always good to call somebody uh, and tell them that they're going up to the big leagues. And they started laying out, like, bullet points. Like, this guy was 17 when we drafted him. He threw, like, 90-92 in the first stages. And he was in our 2018 draft. So, I was just thinking, like, Pretty much, I think I was the only one in the 2018 draft in that locker room. So it was probably, like, more of a shell shock. And then calling my mom with the news, she was more excited than I was because I was just trying to figure out how I was going to get there and what I was going to do the next day. But yeah, everything was fine, man. But it sounds like you were ready for it, right? Uh, I don't think ready, but it was just, like, just thrown in the fire. Like, it was like, hey, there's no time to think. You're pitching tomorrow. And that's it. There's no, hey, we're going to see you pitching in the big leagues in two weeks, three weeks, on this specific day. Like, hey, get on the flight, go out there and throw the ball. So not much time to think. Was your promotion to the big leagues earlier than you expected, though? I mean, did you think coming into this season that, yeah, maybe I'll get up there like mid-season, end of the year? Was April 12th earlier than you anticipated? Uh, I never thought when I was going to make my debut. That's not my job. So I'm just going to go throw a baseball wherever they tell me to, whether – it's triple A, big leagues, and whatever capacity, I'm just going to throw a baseball and just let every, everything else handle itself. I'm going to be honest with you, Taj. You don't really seem to let pressure get to you. But my question is, when you made your major league debut, did you have any butterflies? Were you nervous at all, or do you never get nervous? If I was nervous, I would be more nervous if I didn't prepare myself for what I was going to get into. But I prepare myself every day for the job I have to do on my start day. So, no, not nerves, more excitement. But, like I said, like, there was no time to to think about anything, what was going to happen or who I was going to face. I didn't even know the lineup coming into the game. So, yeah, just go out there and throw a ball. That's it. Then they sent you back down to AAA Durham, but because of injuries, you're back up here, and now you're a staple in the Rays rotation. Was that difficult at all when you found out that you were going back to AAA Durham after making your Major League debut? Nah. I don't think about that stuff, man. I just go day by day. That's all I can. Like, you learn that through the minor leagues. Like, every day feels the same. And, like, yeah, you get optioned down. But, man, it's not me thinking I'm going to stay there forever, you know. I can get back up here. I did it once. I can do it again. So, that wasn't really my mindset getting optioned. And what did your mom say when you told her that you were going to the big leagues? We know that she made the drive down from Atlanta all the way to St. Petersburg and that she even took notes while you were making your big league debut. What do you think that day was like for your mom? Uh, I don't know, man. I told her and she was getting on a flight, but my brother wanted to come also and I guess they have the layovers and everything. They would have made it like in the third inning, so they decided to drive. And, I mean, I saw she drove me to the field in the morning. Like, she was excited when I met her at the hotel. And, like, I could only imagine what her emotions were like in the stands. I wasn't able to see you, so I'd have to ask my brother or something. But, yeah, I couldn't even imagine. Like, she was excited afterwards. Let's go back to one of your more recent starts against the Baltimore Warriors. 
you had a superb outing that day, and your battery mate during that game was Christian Bentley And after that start, he told reporters that you looked like the right-handed Shane McClanahan. Did you hear him say that at all? And what did you make of that? Nah, I don't, I don't really hear anything. Um, but yeah, uh, Bethencourt, it just feels easy to work with. And there's times where I feel like people think the catcher's trying to read what the pitcher wants to throw next. But for me, I'm trying to like see the game he calls and like trying to read his mind. So I did it once and like in that bat and I got excited just knowing like the way we sequenced, I was on page. I was probably like presetting pitches just because I wanted to be like, okay, like I know there's a high chance he's going to call this. And when he did it, I was like, okay, yeah, now I'm on pace. Now I know what we're going to go with. Now I know the game plan. And like we were just on track. Shane McClanahan, though, it's no secret. One of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. So that's quite a compliment. Yeah, no, it's a big compliment. <laughs> yeah, just seeing how Shane goes about his business and the games I've seen him pitched in. Uh, I hold his composure and just how he goes in day in and day out and give you like a quality out and really good stuff. And I know it's been kind of a whirlwind season for you. You start in AAA Durham and you get the quick call to the big leagues, then you're back in AAA Durham and now you're here in St. Petersburg once again. Have you taken time to reflect on just what this season has been like in your career as a whole? coming all the way from Redan High School in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and being drafted out of there by the Rays as a fifth-round pick back in 2018. Have you taken the time to think about how you've grown as a person since then? Nah, everything feels like it's all mixed in together. There's no nothing to separate the seasons, really, in my eyes, or the outings. Like, you're playing every day. You don't have time off to really think about anything, so... You're just going right into the next day. There's no, in the minor leagues you had off days, but like once a week and you really gotta like find the groove. So I've just gone and gone and gone and gone and gone. And even now, like I'll look back at some outings like, wow, that was really a good one. But until then, I just keep looking forward. And I know that when you and I were with the Rays AA affiliate, the Montgomery Biscuits, only last year, you sat down with me and you talked to me about how you had all these journals that you write in and look back on as the season unfurled. Do you still have journals that you're taking notes in, or is that something that you don't do anymore? No, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I feel like I got repetitive, and I feel like if I'm going to keep repeating everything and writing it down, it's it's imprinted in my brain. It's there forever. So I feel like that was just doing me no, no justice or anything like that. So if I already have it, I'm going to keep it, and the journal is just like an accessory I had to get it down on paper. And if I ever forget it, I can go back and look at it. Do you ever go back and look at those? Nah, not anytime soon, man. <laughs> I'm not learning. Everything there is already, like, instilled. So now it's, uh, what's new that I have to learn? What new do I have to do to be successful on the mound? So that's what we're working on now. And pretty much you just keep doing what I was doing to capitalize, make it that much better. So whether it's mechanics, whether it's, like, figuring out a comfortable routine or a lift or something like that, that's pretty much it. And I told you this last year, but I think one of the most unique things about you is the fact that you're not only a black baseball player, but you're a black pitcher. And there really aren't that many black pitchers in the game of baseball anymore. But you got to go up against one at Wrigley Field a few weeks ago and Marcus Stroman. And I am curious, is that something that you think about at all? And do you wear it as a, a badge of, of honor or pride that you are 
not only a black baseball player, but a black pitcher? Or is that not something that you think about at all? I mean, just being a black baseball player in general just brings pride, not just the position. And I'm pretty sure that's the same for every black baseball player there is now. But, yeah, for me, like, going up against Stroman, I didn't even know. But knowing that, okay, it's another successful player, like, you know, he's a black baseball player, successful, he has good outings, he's great, he's good for the game and stuff like that. And just that made me excited just to – go up against him and that we both put on a good performance and afterwards you got to talk a little bit and just know that I got somebody like that in my corner I can go refer to for any advice or anything like that. And what did he tell you? Did he give you any kind of life advice or pitching advice? Nah, just be me. That's it. Like, just be you. Don't shy away from who you are as a person or what you need to do to to have that fire on the mound, you know? It's like me, I'm more reserved and I don't really show anything like that, but that's just me, you know? Like I'm not gonna give anybody anything like exciting to look at. I'm just gonna play my game and continue to do that. Just leading by example then, right? I guess by example, but just doing what makes me comfortable. I don't wanna have to feel like I need to showboat or anything like that or not even showboat just show emotion on the mound that's not me as a person so I kind of can't uh, stay reserved what's the best piece of advice that you've learned so far being in the big things or is there uh, for me advice wise hmm. uh, I don't know I can't think of anything off the top of my head I just I don't know, everything was instilled in me, like, in the minor leagues. And then coming up here, you're just refining a little bit of stuff. So, yeah, everything was pretty much based from the minor leagues and taken it into the big leagues. Well, then we'll go back to the minor leagues. What was the best piece of advice that you learned down there, be it from a teammate, a manager, pitching coach? I got a bunch of stuff. I don't know, man. It's everything. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a lot of this stuff is personal. A lot of this stuff is just stuff you had to be there just to witness it and just take it in. You know, like something you had to see with your own eyes. I can't really explain it, but like the minor league is a process where you're just there to develop. You're not there to be, you know, the best of the best at that moment. Like not everybody is, but you're just there to develop your stuff and become a big leaguer. You're not there to already be seen as one, you know. And finally, we have to let our listeners know, what does Taj Bradley do on an off day? I remember last season when you were in Montgomery, you told me that you watched a lot of Netflix and that you were almost never on your phone. So is that still the case? Are you still going home and sitting on the couch and watching different episodes or movies and putting your phone on airplane mode and not taking any calls or text messages? Uh, yeah, I just make an off day and off day. You don't get many of them now that, you know, that we're up in the big leagues. Like, they cut them down a lot. So, we're playing every day. So, yeah, off days and off day. I'll sit around, not do anything, maybe stretch a little bit. So, I'm not, you know, just idle the whole day. But other than that, yeah, I just keep to myself and just stay in the room for the most part. Well, we've really enjoyed watching you pitch so far this season, Taj. We wish you only the best. Thanks so much for joining us on This Week in Rays Baseball. And we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging in fact wasabi is up to 80 percent less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from wasabi's ai enabled intelligent media storage wasabi air to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals data deletion and ransomware wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data wasabi another boston-based champion championship team well that was Taj Bradley always fun catching up with him after the break I'll sit down with Rays play-by-play man Neil Solons and Rays director of minor league operations Jeff McLaren that's all next right here on the Rays baseball network and welcome back to this week in Rays baseball I'm Chris Adams Wall the guy who sat in this chair before me did the job better than anyone over 1700 shows worth And over the last 11 and a half years, Neil Solon's interviewed everyone. But who interviewed him? That's where I come in. This week, I turned the tables on Neil and asked him about his emotions and being promoted to full-time play-by-play. It's definitely been bittersweet, you know, based on the circumstances. And I've tried to keep the focus uh, as much as possible while we, you know, honor and and pay homage and, and, uh, and remember Dave. Um, he always said it was, it always should be, and always is about the field. And it's always about having fun in the booth. So I've tried to keep those two principles in mind, keep it on the field, but have fun. Um, and I think that's kind of the best way to go. And fortunately, um, as good as Dave was, Andy has always been as good, uh, and he's, he's been as good a partner and that's really all you can ask for. And you mentioned Dave Wills and we all miss him dearly. I know this might be difficult for you, but can you describe the impact Dave had on your broadcasting and on your life? Um, in, a, in a small world, a lot. Uh, I mean, he was a big brother. Um, he was a trusted friend. Um, he was a mentor. Uh, you know, he always wanted the best for all of us, and he was a joy to be around. And I think those are probably the things that stick out. I mean, in terms of as a broadcaster, you know, I, I was fortunate because of unique circumstances last year to have to do some fill-in for him for three weeks last year and for Andy for two weeks. Um, Andy's uh, family had COVID. And um, I, I still remember there was a moment where Taylor Walls hit a walk-off homer. And uh, at the end of the call, uh, Dave looked at me and said I was channeling my inner Dave Mishkin, uh, tying me to the lightning broadcaster. But then when everything was done and we went to break or we finished the broadcast, he said that was awesome. Because I think the thing that he always pushed was be yourself, be authentic, and just let it go. And when he missed three weeks last year, that was the thing he focused on too. You're doing great. Just keep being you and having fun. 
and it, it was almost like like I hate to say you, you you feel a whole lot better when the teacher also feels the way you do about something mm-hmm. and probably feels more so but I could see the beam in his eyes and how proud he was and probably that's the thing that will stick out to me more than anything in terms of the way he impacted me in a really positive way and I think of that moment when I broadcast you well He's obviously looking down on you guys and enjoying you and Andy still educating and entertaining. How did you find out that you were being promoted to full-time play-by-play, and what was your reaction? Was it kind of surreal? Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I kind of just took everything day-to-day, and it was a meeting with um, principal owner Stuart Sternberg and Brian Ald, and the words that stuck in my head, uh, right or wrong, were, don't, we don't want you to feel guilty. And I think it's I, I think I cried a lot, and I was honored and humbled as I still am, um, just not shedding the tears right now. But I think that it's natural to feel some level of guilt in some way, shape, or form. Um, that's natural, but I don't ever think it has, nor will it ever leak into the broadcast. I think that's really the important thing is that. Um, you may have that quiet time alone where something is difficult. But I think beyond that, whatever I feel, it's 10 to 100 times more challenging for Michelle and Alex and Liz. And the focus should really be, you know, on them, um, you know, as we enjoy what hopefully will continue to be one of the best seasons in franchise history. And I really think as long as this group is healthy, that this team can accomplish that. Now, you were the Rays pre- and post-game host for 11 years, and I don't know anyone who is better than you at that job over that amount of time. You're encyclopedic, you're thorough, you're always going the extra mile, the list goes on. What do you think has made you so successful over those last 11 years, though? Um, I appreciate the kind words. I, I, I don't get a chance to listen to the other 29. I'm sure there's someone who's doing an awesome job um, in, in a similar vein. I think it probably starts with just caring. Um, you know, wanting to do well, wanting to be thorough and listening. I think those are probably the two things, caring and listening. And I think those are probably skills that help on play-by-play because you have to listen to your partner extremely well um, and you have to care about the players and the coaches and, and the front office and the organization to make all that work. And I think if you have those two skills, if you care and you listen – you can put together good content. The 2023 Rays, we've talked about them a little bit, started 13-0. and It's a long season, obviously. Do you think they have a chance to beat the 2001 Seattle Mariners record of 116 wins in a single season? Yeah, I think it's hard because you don't know what the health of the group is going to be. And the other thing that you don't know is what trades are going to transpire at the deadline. Whatever they've done to this point, they almost have to triple it. So, I mean, think about that. You have to do this not once, not twice, but three times just to be on pace to be right there. That's really, really hard. If you're just slightly above 500 and you're playing all winning teams, that's pretty good. We always thought if you play 500 against the really good teams and you're well over 500 against the bad teams, you're doing great. They've done above and beyond that without Drew Rasmussen, without Jeffrey Springs. So I think all of those things lead me to believe that they're going to be really good if they can stay healthy. And maybe it's a wrong way to answer this, but I don't care about that record because that team didn't win a World Series. 
I want to see this team win its first get get its first ring. To me, that's what matters the most. And if you have to sacrifice a couple of regular season victories, you know, sacrifice some battles to win the war, I'm all for that. Well, truthfully, it feels like the Rays are currently playing in what one might call their golden age. I don't know how you feel about that, but what do you think makes this team so special? I think that they really, truly care for one another. You know, I think Andy and I felt there was a genuineness about the togetherness of the group on our first road trip. It just, there was a, a vibe, a feel. I mean, I've been on enough road trips and been around enough clubs to feel something. And I just kind of felt it. And then there were some wins that kind of, brought that to light the back-to-back home runs in um nationals uh in the nationals ballpark in the ninth inning and a five-run ninth with three homers the brandon Lau grand slam that followed harold ramirez making two hustle plays um and i can go on and on but there were several games like that that i thought wow this is different uh coming back from six nothing down on garrett cole uh that, that stands out in this in this ballpark as well so I think all of those things led me to believe that this had a chance to be a special group. I think the fact that they kept the core intact, maybe not all intentionally going into the year, has mattered. Um, and I think it shows a difference. I mean, you look at like some of the other small market teams that have won. Kansas City, 14 and 15, kept the core intact. And this is a team that has, you know, there's still plenty of guys here who went to the World Series in 20. There are guys like Yandy Diaz and Brandon Lau and Randy Rosarena who have all been to the playoffs now four years in a row and looking to make it five, I think there's something to be said for that. And hopefully it matters as we go down the this, you know, we've got a long way to go, but as this season continues, again, if health is there, I hope that is a big piece of this. And finally, there are plenty of young people listening who have dreams of working or broadcasting in Major League Baseball. What kind of advice would you give to them? Um, <laughs> Loaded question, sorry. Yeah, uh, other than... Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm equipped to really, truly answer that. Um, but I will say whatever you want to do, um, it's important that you believe that it's possible that you have a passion for whatever you do and that you're a really good listener um, and that you bring that passion and your authentic self to whatever you do. That's a pretty good answer, Neil. We appreciate you taking the time today. Best of luck the rest of the season, and congratulations on your promotion to being one of the Rays play-by-play guys. Thanks. For- and we continue on this week in Rays baseball, and we're joined now by the Rays Director of Minor League Operations, Jeff McLaren. Jeff, thanks for taking a few minutes. Hey, thanks for having me on, Chris. So news broke a couple days ago that the Rays will be well represented in the Emerald City. Kyle Manzardo and Junior Caminero are both headed to the Futures game. First of all, how excited are you for both Kyle and Junior? Uh, hard to put into words, but um, really, really excited for for both of those guys. They've put in a ton of effort over the last couple of years to to get to this point, and um, you know, I think probably coming in, into the year, uh, we're pretty unheralded, uh, you know, publicly compared to what we thought about them internally, and it's it's really really exciting to see them kind of get this notoriety um, on such a public stage. Let's go to Kyle Manzardo. He's a second-round pick back in 2021 out of Washington State University. My mom went to Washington State, so I know a little bit about the Palouse up there. It's not exactly a baseball hotbed, and he's from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. What do you make of this guy? I mean, how did the Rays discover him, first of all, playing at, for the Cougars out there? 
And just how impressed have you been with how well he's developed just over the last couple of years? You know, I will always give credit to our scouts. They, they can find talent anywhere. And I know that, you know, sitting in the draft room, um, you could tell the conviction that the guys that had seen Kyle had uh, about what he could do offensively. Uh, just knew that he had such an advanced approach and the way that his, you know, offensive tools come together, they had a lot of conviction that he was going to be uh, a, a offensive force. And I think from, from the moment he stepped on to kind of our fields in, in Port Charlotte shortly after being drafted, I think we could see some of that. And he's only picked up the pace ever since. Um, he, in addition to like coming in with a really strong approach and a, you know, unbelievable disposition he's also put in a ton of work um willing to to try new things willing to push himself to get better in you know at the plate in the field um and i think we're really seeing all of that come together uh with the season that he's having for durham last year was kind of his breakout season and technically his first full season he hit 327 between high a and double a i saw him for just 30 games in montgomery he hit 22 home runs between high A and double A, 89 RBIs. He was the Rays minor league player of the year. Looking at his numbers this season, though, hitting 249, 10 homers, 34 RBIs. It seems like it's kind of a down year for Kyle Manzardo. What do you make of that, or is he just still transitioning to the next level? So I think there's there's a couple of different things at play. Um, certainly he is, you know, we're, we're less than two years removed from his draft, and he's at the highest level of the minor leagues. Um, and, and competing, competing well. And I think Kyle himself is, is probably, you know, kicking himself for, for some of the surface line numbers that he's putting up. But I think he's made the comment like, you know, never had this low of a batting average in his life. That being said, um, a lot of the things that we're asking him to do, I think to become a complete hitter, um, you know, we've, we've, we believe that there's, there's a little bit more power in there and, and the ability to drive the ball a little bit better. Um, and, you know, if you look at kind of the, some of the stuff under the surface is that, you know, he is, his average exit velocities are, are higher than they've ever been. Um, he's, he's set a new, you know, max speed off bat. Um, you know, he is, he's driving the ball at, at, you know, better angles while also, you know, he's not striking out anymore. Um, he's continuing to have incredibly low chase rates. And so we have, we have a lot of belief that, um, the surface level numbers are not, uh, not a real great indication of, of how strong his offensive year has been and, and believe that you're, you're going to see a lot of that come to play in the second half as, as, as things start to balance out with, uh, with what we're seeing underneath. All right, let's go to the guy everybody wants to hear about junior Caminero, 19 years old. He's playing shortstop and third base for the Montgomery biscuits in double a at the moment. You heard correctly. Yes. 19 years old at double a, He's not the only one in that league, though. Jackson Chorio also there, the top prospect for the Milwaukee Brewers. They played against each other a couple of weeks ago. What do you make of Junior Caminero, though? Amazing numbers at high A, Bowling Green, and really good numbers so far in limited time for the Montgomery Biscuits. It's been a, it's been a heck of a ride for Junior so far, and I think that we're only getting more and more excited about him um, as a player and what he can, what his future could bring. Um, like you, you, you say, it, to be a teenager at Double A is it, just in itself is impressive. But to to already be putting up offensive numbers that are they're above average for the league at such a young age, um, really, really incredible. 
Yeah, just 19 years old, but he originally signed with the Cleveland Guardians out of the Dominican Republic back in 2019. And then the Rays made a trade with the then Indians, and it was Junior Caminero going from Cleveland to Tampa Bay in exchange for Tobias Myers, a guy who was close to being an MLB-ready pitcher. But now he's in double-A with the Milwaukee Brewers. Those two actually faced each other in Montgomery a couple of weeks ago, which was strange, I think, probably for both both parties. But he was kind of buried on Cleveland's Gulf Coast League roster at the time. How do you think the Rays pinpointed Caminero? I mean, you don't have to give away too many secrets here, but what did you guys see that, I guess, made it okay for you guys to give up on a guy like Tobias Myers? Well, you know, like I said, when we talked about Kyle, our, our scouts do a fantastic job, whether it's on the, the amateur side or the pro side. And um, in this instance, this was one of a great work by our, our pro department and our international department um, in the DR, uh, putting in the, the effort on the backfields there and, and away from um, away from the, the, the bright lights and uh, putting in some really strong reports of about Junior, about being a guy that uh, – thought had a bright future and thought was somebody that this was an opportunity to strike before he became famous and, and bring him as part of a part of our, our system. And, you know, we had a lot of supporters of Tobias thought Tobias was right on the cusp, but like you say, there was, we had some depth in that area at that time and, you know, roster rules as they are, it made sense for us to kind of make a move there. And, you know, at the time I thought we thought it was a very balanced trade and, um, you know, we're excited about Junior. We're, we're sad to see Tobias go, and certainly with, you know, what what Junior has has done was probably is this is probably the top end of anybody's imagination on how this would play out. And super excited to be where we are with him and um, where the journey will continue to take him. And I'm pretty sure that Caminero is just the second teenager to ever play for the Biscuits. The other one would be Delman Young, who was also 19 when he won Southern League MVP. Everyone I talked to down there when I was with the Biscuits said, I've never seen a guy swing the bat like that or hit the ball harder. He is literally one of those guys who, if you're in the ballpark and you see him coming to the plate, you just drop everything you're doing and take a look. I remember his first game for the Biscuits, he got a ball lodged in a couple of fences out in right center field. He hit it 114 miles an hour. I thought it was a home run. Turns out it was a rule book double. But he's a really exciting player, and I didn't understand this before he got to the biscuits that he's actually transitioning to playing third base not the other way around i thought he was a third baseman trying out shortstop but he is trying to learn some third isn't he yeah he's you know we we're trying to to find the best spot for him um defensively and and think you know getting some work at both both um both positions will will help him um you know trying to play some more shortstop to continue to work on his range overall and his footwork and then um you know by getting time at third base, trying to be good in some, in some small spaces. Uh, you know, we try to do that with a lot of our, our players because you just never know where, where the opportunity is going to be at the big league level and um, want him to be prepared, you know, whenever the time comes to, to handle whatever opportunity is placed in front of him. And certainly with the way he's, he's gone offensively, that opportunity is probably coming sooner than, than any of us thought, you know, two years ago when he was acquired, but um, you know, excited to see you know him continue to put in the effort defensively that he has done offensively and um hopefully you know turn into a a really well-rounded player that can can affect the game on both sides of the ball 
And let's go back to AAA Durham and talk about a guy who has been on an absolute tear over the last month, and that is Jonathan Aranda, a guy who's been up with the Rays a few times. But over his last 27 games, I want to make sure I have this right, a 448 batting average, 20 runs scored, nine doubles, seven home runs, 23 RBIs, and an OPS of 1,258. That sounds okay, right, Jeff? Uh, I think that'll play. Yes. Um, <laughs> it has been some kind of month for Jonathan. You know, I, I think to, um, by his own admission, you know, the season was not maybe got off to the start that he had, um, he had wanted. Uh, but we all kind of knew that even though, you know, similar to what we're talking about with Kyle earlier, the, the surface line stats may not have been indicative of the process and knew that if he stayed with, what he was doing, the, the same guy who was, you know, the, the Durham MVP last year was going to start to show himself and, and shoot. Like uh, I, it's, it's hard to see somebody having a better month than what he's done um, this last month in AAA. And very quickly, before I get you out of here, Jeff, let's talk about what's going on at low A Charleston. We know that they had a tough first half record wise, but it's not always about the wins and losses. Bowling Green and high A, they came in, came up just short in the first half as well. But how are things going down there? Things are still good. You know, I think that we set an incredibly high bar for ourselves the last couple of years with our team success. Uh, but as as we talk about we're in the business of player development and it's not just about winning minor league championships, but developing players that will impact our, our big league club um, in the near future. And I think in, in that aspect, we've seen a lot of positives. Um, you know, our last year's first round pick Xavier Isaac down in Charleston um, with what he's done in his transition to pro baseball. Um, you know, he's another one that's had a great last month that's starting to really hit the ball. Um, over the fence and in matching, you know, the ball and play results with what he's, he's shown as a really above average approach and similar positive stories at Bowling Green, um, you know, with, with what Carson Williams is doing and cutting down his strikeout rate and continuing to play gold glove defense there. Uh, we're seeing a lot of guys take some strides forward, even if it may not show up in the standings just now. Uh, we feel pretty confident that we're having guys take big steps towards the big leagues. And Carson Williams was 19 until a few days ago. Now he's 20. <laughs> Junior Caminero will be joining him as well next month. Jeff McLaren, thanks so much for joining us, though, on This Week in Race Baseball. And best of luck the rest of the season. Hey, thanks, Chris, and congrats to you on the new gig. And we appreciate the time of both Jeff McLaren and Neil Solons. Coming up on This Week in Race Baseball, Neil sits down with Rays legend Evan Longoria. Stay with us. You're listening to the Rays Radio Network. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. In this 25th anniversary season, we're highlighting some of the greatest Rays and some of the greatest stories in Tampa Bay's illustrious history. Earlier this week, when the team was in Phoenix, our very own Neil Solons caught up with Rays legend Evan Longoria, now of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who spoke fondly of his relationship with the first Rays Hall of Famer in club history, Mr. Don Zimmer. You know, I, I learned so much from Zim. Like, I... I sat with him for, you know, hours at the ballpark, um, you know, playing cribbage and uh, just, just asking him, you know, all kinds of questions and, and me and Foley, you know, teasing him about, you know, how the things that they uh, used to say that some of the old players accomplished could have never been true because of, you know, the speed of the game. And he would get so upset and worked up about, you know, just full kind of picking at him. and. Um, so, so all of those memories and the things that, um, you know, he kind of taught me about um, being, a, being a big leaguer and, and um, the things I shouldn't do and the things I shouldn't do. And he'd watch me, you know, he'd watch the game and he'd just watch me on the bench or he'd be out there and, you know, just kind of like after the game pull me aside and say, hey, like, this is what you don't do or, you know, nice job doing this. And so um, tremendous influence on my career. I'd put him up there next to anybody, um, you know, in my early years. And so, um, you know, Zim deserves to be in any baseball Hall of Fame that, that you have. You know, any, any jersey that he puts on, I think he had a, a, a huge impact on that organization and on the people that were there. And so, um, you know, for him to be first is, is definitely fitting. Also in that class is Wade Boggs, who obviously played third base. Yes. As someone who was growing up, how often did you watch Wade want to hit like him even though you're righty and he's lefty and how often did you come across him during your career? I, I met Wade a couple of times at the TROP um, in my early years for you know a couple of presentations on the field. Um, to be completely honest with you, Wade wasn't a guy who I watched or emulated. Obviously I know I knew who he was. Um, didn't follow his career. Uh, tremendously just because of where he played most of his career. Um, I'm, I'm a West Coast guy, so, you know, the, the, the teams and, and the players that I were following were, were all my local teams from back home. But, um, I mean, I think his, his you know, his numbers and, and what he's done speak for themselves. I mean, there's a reason why we have a different colored seat or you guys have a different colored seat, you know, in, in right field um, at the TROP. So, you know, anybody that has 3,000 hits, um, is in the Hall of Fame, you know, wore well, at that time the Devil Rays jersey, and um, I'm sure made a tremendous impact on on the teams and the players that he played with there, um, deservedly so. Carl Crawford was maybe before you the first homegrown superstar the organization had, and he's going in. What was CC like to play with? Yeah. And do you have some fun CC stories that you can tell? Uh, CC CC was um, probably the first player that I truly saw, like stood next to, a, a, as a guy who I thought was a superstar. Um, he had multiple All Star games, I think, before 
Um, I was even called up. I mean, I actually just recently looked up CC's. I didn't realize his first year was 2002. So he, he was, you know, a veteran at the time. I mean, he was five, you know, five plus years by the time I made it to the big leagues. So, um, and, and his impact was, was felt for sure. Um, but yeah, first guy really like kind of marveled at as, as a guy who I played with, um, CC's work ethic was incredible. Um, I always say that, and he might disagree, but you know, I always said that, you know, he, he was a football player in a baseball player's uniform, you know, like CC was the most athletic guy on the field every time he stepped on. Um, and he just willed himself to be a good baseball player. Like the stuff, you know, all of his work, like was, you know, him, just making himself into a baseball player, you know, and, and um, he was still, you know, probably one of the more raw talents um, that I ever played with, but he had more natural ability than, than anybody, you know, and, and was able to kind of extract that on the baseball field. And um, yeah, just a super special player, a guy that could impact the game, obviously on the bases. I saw a highlight of him stealing six bases against Boston um, not too long ago, you know, was a clutch hitter. Um, you know, hit for power, hit for average, like knew how to play the outfield. He just outran balls in the outfield. And um, yeah, just a super, super special player. Is there a moment on or off the field that sticks with you with him? Not, not, not particularly, you know, Carl, Carl was really good about, um, you know, taking, taking some guys under his wing, um, some, some young guys and kind of, um, you know, taking them around, whether it was, you know, to lunch or dinner or, um, you know, just have him ride into the field with him. Like he was always good about that. Um, and, and I mean, the thing that always, like, like I said, just to touch on his work ethic again, like I, I show up to the ballpark early and there were times when I'd, I'd get there, you know, at 1230 or something and CC would be getting done with his lift, you know, getting done in the cage. Like I would show up to spring training and when I was a young player, like, again, you know, this is back, like, it's so different now, but back then it was like, if you weren't showing up early and getting your stuff done, like, you were lazy or something, you know, um, and, and I would get there early, like, before the sun came up, and again, you know, somehow CeCe was, like, coming out of the cage, you know, done with his work, full sweat, um, and I'm talking, like, 5.45, 6 in the morning, you know, like, ridiculous times. Um, but again, you know, it's, it just speaks to, you know, how he was able to extract the most out of himself and basically just turn himself into a baseball player. He, and um, it, was, it was fun to watch. There was another guy who had work ethic probably in that similar category as James Shields. He this year, along with Jake McGee, symbolically retired mm -hmm. as a Ray. Would that mean something to you to do that whenever your career is done since that's the place where it all started? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, th I don't know that there's really anybody, um, you know, that's, that's not a casual baseball fan that, that doesn't, um, you know, come up to me or, or, you know, that follows me on, on social media or, you know, that sees me in person. I, you know, there's nobody that's ever going to say, oh, we love, you know, we remember you as a giant, you know, or we remember you as a, as a diamondback, you know, it's, it's all, I mean, I spent 10 years in, in Tampa, so. Um, yeah, I mean, whenever the time comes, um, I, I hope, um, and, and I'm, I'm I, you know, I think there will be a time when I'm able to come back and, and put the jersey back on and, um, 
you know, like, like I said, for whatever it, it may be, you know, maybe it's for the first time coming back to, you know, celebrate somebody getting into the Hall of Fame or, you know, I'm back for the jersey, for the, you know, the statue or whatever it is, you know, but, um, you know, there, there will be a time and um, I, I, don't, um, I don't think that that reunion won't happen. It's been a half dozen years since uh, the trade. It will be in December. Nobody's worn number three since. Would it mean something if the number were never worn by anybody other than you and were retired at some point? Uh, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I, um, I think that uh, I, when I was traded, <clears throat> the number three was retired in San Francisco. And, and I, didn't, I didn't realize that until I was traded. And then I said, okay, you know, I, do, I want number three. And they said, well, it's retired, you know. It's, um, so I kind of just did like that and said, I, I don't really know what, you know, I, I didn't have like another number in mind. Um, and I think I told this story to you yesterday, but I, um, I didn't wear number three initially coming up either. And uh, nor was it in my mind to, to wear it. I, I was number six. Um, Tom Foley was number, was number six um, when I first got called up. And uh, just in jest, you know, he said, you can have the number, but I want a new set of golf clubs. And at the time I was like being cheap, you know, I'm like, I don't, you know, fine. What other number is available? You know, so I chose number three. And, you know, you start, you spend so many years in one place, you know, hearing your name announced with the number next to it. Um, you just get attached, you know, like it, it's, I don't know. You know, there's very few things that I'm like that attached to. Number three was one of them. Um, you know, I, I come here now and I actually paid for my number here. You know, I, uh, I it wasn't a lot, but you know, I, I made sure that uh, Tony Perez Chico, our third base coach, he was wearing it before, and um, you know, I made sure that that he knew that I appreciated that I was, you know, I wanted it and that I was taking it from him and. Um, he was he was great about it and so um yeah it it you know ultimately again i i said this yesterday um it wouldn't be my place to say no i appreciate them because they have said no you know and they haven't given it to somebody if they see fit to not give it out again of course i'll be honored you know like i would i would uh i would happily come back and celebrate and you can listen to Neil's full sit-down interview with Evan Longoria on the episode 7 of the 25th anniversary edition of the Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Just search Tampa Bay Rays podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we certainly appreciate Evan Longoria's time on This Week in Rays Baseball. And we also want to thank all of our other guests on the show today, including Rays pitcher Taj Bradley for sharing about his rise to the big leagues. We also appreciate hearing about Neil Solon's transition to the Rays broadcast booth and catching up with Rays Director of Minor League Operations Jeff McLaren on Kyle Manzardo and Junior Caminero's selection to the Futures game. And now I'm going to borrow a line from my predecessor. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me. You can do so fairly easily at Chris Adams Wall or at Rays Radio. Thanks to Jason Berenger back at our network studios, on-site assistance from Steve Versnick and Alex Fuse, plus assistance from Andy Freed, Neil Solons, Chris Miller, as well as Becca Carney and Parker Welch. I'm Chris Adams Wall. We're getting set for the Rays and Mariners, the series finale from T-Mobile Park, where at least two Rays and Yandy Diaz and Randy Orozarena will be headed the week after next for the All-Star Game. We'll see you next week. The pregame show is next. Enjoy the game, everyone. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. 
Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.